Thanks for tuning in to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. For those of you that are new to the pod, we explore the world of product marketing through the lens of the women who run it at some of the fastest growing technology companies in the world. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. You're losing 30% of your deals to your competitors. Not cool. That competitive revenue gap is costing your business millions of dollars. So how do you tip the scale in your favor? Clue's competitive enablement platform makes it simple for product marketers and compete pros to give their revenue teams the exact right intel at the exact right time. Positioning, messaging, objection handling, and FUD, Clue shares real-time competitive insights in the places your reps already live. It makes it easy for them to contribute insights from the field. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheen with Adobe. Today, I'm thrilled to interview Megan Keeney Anderson, the VP of Marketing at Jasper AI. Megan was formerly CMO at the Wonderless Group and VP Marketing at HubSpot. Megan and I are also the co-creators of the new Reforge Product Marketing course and basically became PMM best friends over the course of the last year. So excited to have you on the show today, Megan. Welcome. Yeah, I feel like this is like the natural conclusion to our long journey together over the last couple of years. So I'm I'm excited. Yes, thank you so much for making time. Yeah, we've been in a lot of connections together over the last year working on this Reforge course. I feel like we've been on a few podcasts together and LinkedIn posts. And now here we are. So happy to have you on the show. (laughs) All right. So this season, we're kicking off with a spicy question, which is, can you tell me a time that you failed at something and what you learned? Oh, good God. Yeah. I fail all the time. (laughs) Most of the time, I'm just like figuring it out as I go and learning some stuff along the way. I think from a product marketing standpoint, I've had failed launches before, which I think is worth knowing you're going to have failed launches and then you just need to like pick yourself up and pick the launch up and reinvest in it and reverse course. The biggest kind of product marketing failure I had was years ago. Now I was at HubSpot and we were launching like a new content management system, a new CMS, and we had this really cool feature in it at the time, which was that because the CMS was plugged into your contact database, you could dynamically change the content based on who was looking at it. So if you knew the contact, you knew their company, you could insert their company name into the homepage. You could do all sorts of cool, really personalization touches. And so we were like, this is amazing. This is the next, this is where all websites are going. Personalized website, it made a ton of sense. People seemed into it, into the research. And we were like, you know what? It's not a CMS anymore. We're going to create a whole new category. We're going to call it a content optimization system. And I think you can tell by my tone, you shouldn't just go reinvent names when people are so attached to and established with the existing name in the industry. So we learned pretty quick that we were spending way more time explaining what a content optimization system was than we were actually selling the virtues of the product. And we lost all of the search juice that exists out there for CMSs. And so we had to reverse course on that. Probably six months or so later on, we decided to change it and just call it what it was, which is a very cool personalized CMS. 
That one hurts. Thank you for it hurts a that. lot. <laughs> yeah. There was some wounded pride in there, but I think that's important. Like you can start to believe your own stuff sometimes in product marketing and it gets internal. Like you can start to rally each other up internally. And it's just a good reminder to like always put your self in the position of the buyer as if they didn't know your company. Right. So that was a big one. Such sage advice. Yeah. I feel like there's this holy grail, especially when you get to a certain size company, like we got to create a new category, but it actually has to be a distinct category that there's demand for and that's solving a new problem. And yeah, you can't just put lipstick on it, but it's hard to see that from the inside because it feels like you're doing something. I've been in near situations like that too. It's really hard. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think we've talked about this before, but I feel like if you don't have like an epic fail launch or repositioning or whatever, like you probably haven't been product marketing long enough. So yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. All right. Well, I'm so excited about your current job. You are the VP at Jasper AI. I just want to say I am currently drinking out of your Gen AI conference water bottle. That was like the most fun I've ever had at a conference. It was so well done. I'd love to hear about your role there. And this is obviously an exciting space. So if you could talk a little bit about what kind of drew you to this, this new and exciting place that you're at. Yeah. So Jasper is still a startup. It started in 2021, just over two years old. And they really were the first at that stage to take generative AI. So the ability to sort of put in a prompt to AI and get something wholly new out of it. They were the first to take that and turn that into a marketing tool. And they, in their first year, got almost immediate product market fit. The pain point was really strong. Everybody writes. So the TAM was huge and everybody's had that pain of staring at the blank page. So they went from like zero to 35 million in ARR in year one, which is a lot of stuff that was previously unknown, right? And the team was 12 people. So I joined in September of this year, about 18 months into their life as a company, company who still had been growing numbers I hadn't seen before in terms of early traction. What attracted me to the role was just, I tried the software, I played around with it. And I realized very quickly, as most people are right now, just how transformative generative AI is going to be in terms of how we create, how we consume content, how we communicate with each other. It felt like one of those major advancements that needed sorting out. And I've always been really drawn to a good story in a time of change, right? I love marketing in rapidly changing industries, It's more exciting. You can flex a little bit more. It gives you more opportunity. There's opportunities that are going to come up six months from now that I'm not even imagining right now. So that kind of pace of an industry unfurling was really attractive to me. And I wasn't looking for a new job, but when I saw that and I saw how big it could be, I couldn't walk away from it. And so all of that was September. And then in late September, all of the like, Text to image AI came out. And then in November, Chat GPT came out. And just the awareness of this space ballooned. Mm-hmm. So it's been a fascinating run. We've had to adapt and pivot and learn very, very quickly. And it's funny, we call ourselves like the six foot tall toddler because, in many ways, from our customer base size, and we seem much larger than we are. 
but there's a lot of like infrastructure that we're still building, especially when it comes to like product marketing rollout and all of that. Oh, that's so cool. And like I said, I mean, it was one of the best conferences I've ever been to. And I think part of the reason why is it was really well done and you guys put on a great conference, but people were just so fired up to learn about Gen AI. Everyone I talked to was like, I'm just here to learn more about the industry. Like, I just want to bring this back to my team. Like I haven't been in that kind of energy in the space in a long time. And so for our listeners out there, if you're not on the Gen AI train, it's moving really fast. Come get on board, learn about it, poke around with some of these amazing tools like Jasper. I'm a user. I'm obsessed with it. I think it's so amazing. So just really cool to see this unfold. Thank you. Love it. Great. Okay. So to prepare for this interview, I actually asked LinkedIn on an informal poll if people were using Gen AI in their work yet. And I was actually blown away by their responses. 63% of people said yes. 33% mm-hmm. of people said I've been meaning to, and only 4%, which was probably like one person said no. So, I mean, obviously LinkedIn and the people that are responding to this, it's like a subsection of the populace, but whoa, is that what you're seeing too with the customers that you're talking to or the prospects, the desire to use it is there. And it's just this huge product market fit already. Yeah. It's not far off. So here, a fascinating thing happened over the last four months or so. Back in September, when we were selling this, we were really kind of speaking to the pain point of writer's block and content demands. And we were kind of showing people for the first time what AI could do to help with that. We don't need to have that part of the conversation anymore. Mm. Now the discussion is almost entirely, because I've listened to gong recordings of sales calls on this. Now the conversation is almost entirely, hey, I know I've got a quote unquote, do AI. My CEO asked me what my point of view is on it. My team is already using it across the team. Like what I now need is to figure out how do I think strategically about rolling out AI and my strategy and what do I do with this? And what do I have to be concerned about, right? Like loads of questions around accuracy and ownership and bias and all sorts of really important things to sort out as a business as you're adopting this new technology. So there has been a sea change there. We see it on our calls. I think you're right. And frankly, I credit OpenAI and ChatGPT and the Microsoft and Google announcements, the ability to bring this into the common knowledge of so many business leaders. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, for it to change so rapidly in like, what, three months, six months from that conversation of what is this? Yeah. What's your strategy? Yeah. I feel like past the, my grandma knows about it moment in like December, mm-hmm. you know, when chat GPT came out. Yeah. And was so I, that's really cool to see the progression and must be exciting and a lot of work to rapidly change your positioning and maybe your, your go-to-market and who your customers are. I mean, I feel like everything is up for grabs right now. So sounds yeah. like a wild ride. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So you and I did a Reforge course together. And one of the things we talk about in that course is you want to build your product positioning. And then in addition to that, you kind of want to have a particular part of that positioning that you really emphasize. We call that the strategic emphasis. And that often is informed not by what's going on in your company, but what's going on in the market. So our positioning actually hasn't changed that much from where it was in September. Still, you know, the problem is 
overworked marketing teams that are having a hard time keeping up with content demands. Our target market is the same, although I'll talk about our target market evolving in a little bit. Our differentiation is the same. But what has changed is we don't need to talk about the pain point and the solution as much anymore. We're talking a lot more about differentiation. Like, why is it that, okay, you know, you need to use AI. Why choose Jasper versus Copy AI or Write Sonic or any of the other tools out there, or frankly, over going straight to open AI? So we talk a lot more about the differentiation now. We also talk, lean a lot more into change and how we can help you navigate this sort of uncertain period to adopt this very powerful technology. That's great. Yeah, that is so interesting that you can move from the explainer of what this technology is to how you can actually start utilizing it and get the most out of it and then differentiating it since there are competitors that have popped it too. Wow. That's so cool. So of course everyone is asking themselves, how is this going to change my industry? How is this going to change your role? Do you have a perspective on how Gen AI is going to change product marketing? Yeah, I certainly do. Let me talk about the areas where I feel like it shouldn't change part product marketing or the aspects of product marketing I feel mm-hmm. like it should do. And then the aspects that I feel like it can be really useful in speeding up and accelerating. So the parts of product marketing that I feel like product marketers need to do still is the core fundamentals of understanding your audience, doing firsthand research on that audience, building your original positioning statement, like all of the stuff that creates the house of your product marketing. I think that product marketers are, that's what they're good at. And that's what they should still do. Where I see AI coming into place and being incredibly powerful for product marketers is in enabling them to take that source material of their positioning, their customer interviews, their understanding of the market and the competitive space and rapidly turn that into content across formats. Mm -hmm. So for example, we are working on a product launch right now with a single piece of really a positioning doc. We can in a few keystrokes create an email nurturing campaign, a dozen different tweets, a dozen different LinkedIn posts, the copy for the conversion page, the launch post, the ebook that's going to go along with it. And we can then adapt that to different audiences. So we can say, hey, look, our primary audience is CMOs at mid-sized companies, but we do want a version of this for freelancers, right? And so we can use AI to make those adaptations from that source doc. Does that make sense to you? Yes. And as someone that's in the midst of a huge launch, I almost want to cry thinking about how much coordination I'm personally doing that Gen AI could just do. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, I mean, think about the timelines that product yeah. marketers are under and it's insane. Like at HubSpot, we used to have to do, for a given tier one launch, it was like 200 creative assets across three different audiences and we were global. So we then had to translate or localize that into five, six different languages. And it's just an immense lift. It and is. we had all the internal teams to do that, but even still it was like, wow, people were cranking. And so there are places in that process that, I mean, localization alone where gotcha. AI can speed you up so that you can spend, you know, like what always gets cut 
in the product launch process. It's always like customer research or time spent analyzing that. You always sort of like skip through that because you know you've got a deadline to hit on the product page copy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I love how you're thinking about it. And I do agree that core customer research, the development of personas, the real deep understanding of your audience and how they'll use your product, that's always going to be unique to you as a product marketer and developing that core positioning, like really setting the strategy. I don't think anything could ever replace that, but I love hearing about the all the bits and bobs as a launch comes together or you're rolling out content in different markets or, you know, the sky's really the limit. Blurb writing. We write so many blurbs as content. So many blurbs. (laughs) Product marketers, can we get help with that? So yeah, this kind of thing really excites me that you have that core piece of content, the source document you're talking about, and then you can go from there. So sign me up. Mary, there's one other thing I want to be really clear about too. Even when you're using AI to turn a source document into like a blog post, there should never be a time when you're like, I'm just going to press publish on this blog post that AI has entirely written because odds are it's beautifully written, but it's pretty shallow, right? Yeah. All content. When I say an accelerant, what I mean is don't have AI do that for you, but have AI help you move through that more quickly. I still think that product marketers, what they're known for is being great storytellers and being as good with messaging as they are with research. And so what I would urge product marketers to do is truly make this a tool rather than a replacement and have all copy and content be blended Mm. so that it's got that human insight and oversight in addition to the speed of AI. Such a good point. Yeah. We still own the ultimate outcome of what is going to market. You can't just let the robots do all the work and press send without reviewing it, making sure it actually does align to your strategic pillars, making sure it does resonate with your audience. There is they're going to get some things wrong. Just like working with any stakeholder, they may get some things wrong. So just thinking about it. So thank you for clarifying on that. That's great. Well, I could talk about this all day, but I also love to talk about your path a bit. So we actually haven't talked about this before. So I'm super interested to hear how you went from more product marketing management level to VP of product marketing at HubSpot. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like? Yeah. So I got to HubSpot through an acquisition. I had been working at a startup called Performable. Before that, it was an analytics and kind of what became the base of HubSpot CRM product. And so I was a surprise to the marketing team after HubSpot made the acquisition. And the CMO at the time was kind of like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, where are the needs? And together we kind of looked at like, all right, Well, after the acquisition, HubSpot was going to be rebuilding the software from the ground up. And so we needed someone to help communicate those changes. So I really started as the first product marketing role that was really focused on like, hey, just communicate out changes that are happening. That then evolved into true launch strategy. That then evolved into more of a, um, I started managing the product marketing team as it grew and more of like a full-fledged product marketing operation outside of just launches. And then... Over time, the company grew and restructured in different ways and adjacent opportunities opened up. So I expanded from running the product marketing organization to doing that plus running HubSpot Academy, which was sort of the educational arm. I also expanded to run for a period of time HubSpot's content team. And then I expanded once more to run brand and creative. Mm -hmm. So by the end, I kind of had this hybrid 
role that I would call like brand and product marketing. And it worked really well together. I actually love when brand and product marketing are tied because it creates that really strong through line between the way you talk about your values as a company and the way that you talk about everything down to the tiniest feature that just rolled out. But the short answer to how it all happened was just time, curiosity, and a track record for delivering, which is how most careers grow. Would you say with each of these, the team expansion, it might be different for each one. Did you find yourself raising your hand? Like, oh, I'll take over the content team for a bit. Or yeah, let's do brand and product marketing. Or was it something more that the executive team had in mind for you? To be honest, it was sort of a mix of the two. So I think that it was something that the executive team had in mind. They approached me each time to say, hey, we need someone to run the content team. Um, Do you think? You could take it on in addition to product marketing. But the only reason they came to me for that was because I had often voiced ideas and thoughts on ways content and product marketing could work better together, right? And the only reason that I was a good pick to run brand is that I really, through my work in product launches, done a lot of the narrative storytelling for the company. Part of it is being in the right place when the need is there and being willing to take it on. And part of it is just like showing that you've got an interest outside of your narrow lanes and collaborating with those other teams, developing relationships there, having an opinion to share when it comes to those other strategies. Yeah, that's all great points. When you got to that level of VP, did you feel like you were missing any skills? Were you like, oh, I really feel strong, obviously in brand and product marketing, but I'm missing X, Y, Z. Is there anything that you felt like you needed to really develop at that point? Yeah. I mean, there are skills that I'm missing today and I've been a CMO and this is my second run at leading a marketing organization. Like there's still skills that I've got gaps on. Mm -hmm. I think that what happens when you get more established and senior in a role, there's like two things that happen. One is you identify where you're strong and where you're weaker and you invest in ways to bring up that floor or the places that you're weaker to a better skill set, right? So I was always really strong on storytelling, on brand, on positioning. I was less of a quant, right? Like I was less comfortable doing crazy analysis in spreadsheets, but I knew that that was an area that I had to be comfortable with, or at least more comfortable than I was today. So I personally invested to up-level my skill there. Now I feel it's not my favorite place in the world to live, but I feel comfortable and not like an imposter when I'm in those sheets now. So there was a personal investment that happened there. But the second thing is I also hired in ways that complemented me by bringing in people to the team and people who are sort of my right-hand colleagues that were really strong in the areas where I was weak. And I think that especially most CMOs aren't good at everything. Most CMOs are good at a handful of things personally, and they know how to hire for the other things. So that combination of like up-leveling your skills, but also reinforcing them with people that are stronger at it than you, that's how you make it through in a senior role that oversees a bunch of areas. That is great to hear. And thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable about that. <laughs> you still feel like you don't have all the skills today because from the outside, it looks like you do. So that is a moment for me for sure. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I, I've heard it described for the hiring piece that 
once you're at that level, you should know enough where you can fake it for like three months if you don't have anyone. <laughs> and then before the wheels I love the time off. on it. Yeah. <laughs> so you also made the move from VP product marketing to another company to be the CMO. What was that like? And did you feel like, oh, I got to really increase my chops in this certain area? Or how did that transition go? Yeah. So I left HubSpot in December of 2020. 2020 was kind of a big inflection point for a lot of people. And I was just sort of like, hey, I, I love this company. This company has really played a formative role in my own career, but it felt time to go. I was eager to get back to a smaller company again. I think HubSpot, when I joined, was 300 people. And when I left was, you know, 6,000 or so. And I wanted to get my direct reports, not direct reports, my team at HubSpot was 120 people deep. So there were people on my team that I never had a deep conversation with. And I wanted to get back to a smaller company, smaller team. So I left to go work for a startup called the Wanderlust Group. I also wanted to get in a very different space from marketing technology. And so I went to the Wanderlust Group, which was an outdoor tech marketplace for booking, you know, if you have a boat, booking a slip at a marina, they were expanding into camping. So you could book camping ground slot, really wanted to like, get into consumer marketing and get away from our tech. I stepped into the lead role and whether it's a CMO role, which it you know was, or a VP role, I think the big difference in role for me was just owning all of it as opposed to owning a portion of it, despite how varied my portion at HubSpot was. And it's the same lesson. It's just, there are going to be things that you are good at in this role and that are important to the company. And there are going to be things that are, you are bad at and that are important to the company. And you need to like a Venn diagram out, you know, what's important to the company? What am I personally good at? What do I need to hire for stat and like build the team up that way when you're taking on a leadership role? That's so interesting. Did you feel like it was a really big change in terms of function, I guess it was, you were going from a different industry, you're going from a big company to a smaller company with those yeah. variables aside, did you feel like, okay, CMO is a different position than the VP of product marketing? I'll be honest, that part didn't feel like that big of a leap mm -hmm. because listen, you get the cool thing about product marketing is you get kind of the full ecosystem of an experience within product marketing. You're accountable for revenue driving numbers. Yeah. That's growth. You are doing positioning and storytelling. That's brand. You are doing, you know, sales enablement. You're doing oftentimes product-led growth. Like you really do get this good cross-section. So that wasn't a leap for me. The leap for me was going from a bigger company with infrastructure set up and reporting set up to a company that didn't yet have any of that reporting or infrastructure sort of in place and having to make those decisions in the beginning without that there. Yeah. Uh, that felt like the biggest strain for me. And it took a while. Like if you've never worked at a smaller company, the first question you should ask when you're interviewing is like, tell me what your reporting looks like, right? Because that's mm -hmm. your guide for everything. So setting all that up took some time. And that was probably the most uncomfortable transition. But there were lots of things that paid that off in that smaller role. I mean, you could have a real sizable impact very quickly. It was a very tight-knit team. It was an awesome role, but that was a transition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a 
really important tactical thing that I'm sure a lot of people are not thinking about when they make that move, but it could be months to have that set up ah. and sort of like, Hey, I swear, I think things are coming. Here's what we're doing. We can't really tell you the impact of so that, that will be really hard and to make sure you have the patience of the executive team while that's really getting figured yeah. out is probably really hard to overcome. And I didn't learn the lesson either, Mary, because when I took the job at Jasper, I didn't ask, I got so excited about the opportunity. I didn't ask like, Hey, do you have attribution reporting set up? You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, show me your Salesforce thing, you know, like all those things. I mean, I got lucky. Jasper was a if kind of a faster setup that way, but it, those are things are really important to give you grounding, to be able to do your job well. Absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that tip. That's super helpful. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about the course at Reforge. You mentioned it a bit already. So we bonded this year, creating this amazing course for Reforge that really is meant for mid-career product marketers to accelerate to the next level. And it's been a really fun experience on my side, at least hopefully, I think it has been for you too, but I wanted to hear a little bit more about what it got you excited about creating this course in general from your point of view. Yeah. So when Reforge first asked, the timing hit me just right because I had left HubSpot. Actually, I was at Wanderlust Group and hadn't yet started at Jasper, but it felt like a really good moment in my career to be able, enough had transpired, enough had passed. I had seen enough things to be able to have the opportunity to kind of look back and encapsulate that into some concrete takeaways for other people. Uh, And I'd sort of done that along the way in little ways here and there, built templates and things like that, but I'd never been able to sort of do it comprehensively. And so this is what that opportunity was for me. And then I also think like, frankly, Mary, when I heard you were attached to the project, you were somebody that I had admired from afar in terms of the kind of work that you had done at Adobe and other places and the chance to get to work with, you know, an equal, but somebody who had varied experience who, again, probably filled in gaps that I had in product marketing expertise and then get access to working with the rest of the Reforge community, which is just, I mean it's astounding the level of talent that they pulled into that community. It just felt like a really smart club to be a part of. So I was excited to do it. Agree. Well, I'm having a little bit of an out-of-body experience because I felt like when I heard you were maybe attached to the project, (laughs) I wanted to work with you because of all of the things I heard. So I'm having a little moment over here. Thank you, Megan. Yeah, I think it was cool. And I do agree. I feel like we brought a lot of different perspectives to the table and it it was like, oh, we didn't always meet together. In fact, we met a lot separately to help develop the content and we'd fill in the gaps and you would bring examples to the table and I'd get to review them and kind of see how you did frameworks. And I think one thing that was really interesting is I know this from the show and just from working with others, but nobody does product marketing the same way. So this That's was right. Yeah. So this was a cool attempt to kind of codify what we've homegrown in a lot of ways in our careers and bringing it together and with the strength of the Reforge really frameworks, like they have this framework thinking and consulting thinking that's just amazing. So it was cool to see like, we're talking to them once a week for however many hours on these interviews, and then they're turning it into these amazing 
pieces of content. Like it was just a cool experience all around, I thought. And I like where it landed too. So yeah, the spring cohort's on right now. And then there's definitely going to be a fall cohort too. So for those that are interested, we really put a lot of time into this. (laughs) What's your favorite part of the course? Curious. So I actually am really excited about the part that I'm going to be guest lecturing about, which is really around like the metrics and post adoption. So I feel like there's a lot on, I feel like it's like the thing that a lot of people ignore. So, you know, the whole premise of the course is around like strategic emphasis, which you talked about, but also creating a measurement framework and really trying to understand what your goals are from the beginning and carrying that through to everything you do. So I'm going to talk a bit more about that in my section that I'm guest lecturing at, but I'm really excited about that because I feel like metrics are kind of slapped on at the end. And this is a really great sort of best practice way to do this. And the post-adoption piece kind of like, what do you do? Like the launch moment? Yes. Pop the champagne, but what do you do post then? So I like how it gives a little bit of like, Hey, after you've gone through the tunnel, like what's on the other side and like, what should you be doing and how? So yeah, I'm excited about that part, but a lot of it, like the strategic emphasis, that wasn't something like I'd really thought about before, but like in that way, obviously. So yeah, a lot of it was just really cool. It was like, oh, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but that's, I guess what I've been doing. So anyways, that was it for me. What about for you? You know, there's a section in it that's really good around pricing and packaging where there's this like decision tree. that we ended up putting together around how do you know when something is an add-on versus a feature to include versus should go into one package or another. And I kid you not, Mary, we were in the middle of kind of reviewing that decision tree. And I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, that product that we have at Jasper, that should probably be a feature, not a product, right? (laughs) It's funny because like the decision was happening, you know, there's a lot of conversation going on inside of Jasper around our art product, which we had initially sold as a standalone already. And then when I saw the tree, it like crystallized it for me where I was like, oh, this is working. Like this tree is good. Like the, it's putting me in the exact right spot for, hey, this thing that we thought was a standalone product should probably be a paid feature. So that was kind of my favorite moment in making the course where I was like, oh, this is not just frameworks for framework's sake. Like they function. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I had a lot of art mimics life moments like that too. I was like, oh, I'm gonna like use this in my <laughs> positioning that I'm creating right now. Or you're certainly planning to use that, the pricing tree too. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. I'm really excited about how it turns out. So not to be like a sales pitch for it, but I think it was a really thoughtful process that we went through and it took a year to create and I did it mostly oh. on maternity leave. I didn't really realize you had that break, but yeah, it's a lot of effort that we Investment. put in. And Joanna um, Lord, we can't forget Joanna Lord is attached to this too, as sort of the instructor on this. And she's amazing. She is amazing. Yeah. What yeah. a badass. I just <laughs> love, she's also teaching a marketing strategy course that I've been taking this spring and she's just like, yeah, she gets the best out of people. It's really, really cool to see. Talk about women in product marketing. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. And the two other guest lecturers are actually alums of this show, Augustina Sacerdote and Christy Roach. They're the other right. guest lecturers this season. So I was like, oh my God, this is the best lineup of 80s I've ever seen. So yes, really cool. excited. And to have us all be part of this process, I think has been super cool. So 
Glad we got to talk about that a little bit. Well, great. Well, I have just a couple more questions. We're in our lightning round now, but I wanted to hear more about your PMM mentors along the way who have been the, the biggest impact for you in your career. Yeah. The mentor question is always a tough one because I feel like there's so many people along the way that have like fortified my direction, whether they're peers or even people always think mentors have to be more senior than you, but right. I've had people on my team who have made me a better product marketer. But the two I'll kind of call out here, there's a woman named Beth Comstock who was the CMO of GE for a while. And I read an interview of hers. I didn't know her personally, but I read an interview of hers early into my product marketing career when I was literally Googling to figure out what product marketing was. And in that interview, she talked about how like GE made health care equipment. And she said, listen, if you are building an ultrasound machine that is going to be used in rural parts of China, you better go to China. Mm. You better take the winding road, the drive out to those rural parts you better learn how it is that people are going to be able to carry that ultrasound machine from village to village, right? She really stressed wow. the importance of it is your job as a marketer to get out of the office and to go see how this tool or software or widget is going to be used in real life. And that really stuck with me early because it made it real. It made a bit about the difference that these things can make in people's lives and all of the little assumptions that we make about others that can send that kind of product positioning astray. Wow. So I really like Beth Comstock. I also just thought GE did a really nice job of taking a very broad company with abstract, complicated technology and having a unifying message around like for the love of science and innovation and human breakthroughs, right? So I thought she was a great mentor just very personally during my tenure at HubSpot, Kip Bodner, who's the CMO there now, he played a major role in like pushing me to do more, to push my team more, to innovate every year and not just do the same thing. He was just a great sparring partner and still is in terms of figuring out what to do next from a strategic standpoint. That's so awesome. Wow. So cool to have experience with both of those folks earlier in your career. And I love Beth's perspective. I've heard that called Nihito. Nothing important happens in the office. So actually oh, the visual, cool. yeah, of going to that rural place in China to see how the ultrasound machine, wow, what a visceral example that will stay with you. That's really yeah. cool that she gave that to you so, so early in your career. What would you say is the thing that's been most important in terms of growing your career? I'd say it's, for me personally, it's been my ability to communicate well to a variety of different people. I mm -hmm. think that I've always been, I'll toot my own horn, like I've always been a good at telling a story. I think that served me well in the way that I'm able to kind of galvanize people around a product or a campaign or an initiative that I'm hoping they'll take part in, whether that's internal audiences or external. That's awesome. That's great to share. And you are, you tell great stories all the time. So you peppered them in throughout this interview. So you're sharing them <laughs> with the world today. <laughs> all right. Last question for you. Why product marketing? I love product marketing. I think it is the best intersection of the creative parts of marketing and the business drivers of marketing that you can find anywhere. 
It also situates you smack in the middle of the company. You're dealing with product and engineering. You're dealing with sales. You're dealing with customer success. You're often catapulted up to talk with executive teams. It's just the crossroads of a company. So if you want to have an impact, I think that's a great place to start. Love it. I totally agree. Well, Megan, thank you so much. This was so fun. I learned a lot in our conversation today and I'm sure the listeners did too, but thank you for everything you do for women in product marketing. It was such a joy to have you here today. Thank you. And honestly, Mary, this podcast is a gift too. There aren't a lot of resources out there and there's not a lot of community out there specifically for this audience. And so I know people love this podcast and that it's been a big force for them. Thank you for saying that. Well, awesome again to have you and take care. Talk to Thanks, you Thanks, you too. <laughs> this show is produced by Sharebird, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders in the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Head to sharebird.com.